1 Corinthians 12.31 says this, But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Let's pray. Lord of glory, we come before you with our hands spread open, our hearts open, and we need you to feed us today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would come in great power, not, not come, he's here, that he would continue to minister to us, open up the eyes of our understanding that we would see wondrous things out of your word today. Speak, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. The gifts of the Spirit are really good. Amen? The way of love is supreme. The gifts of the Spirit are good, precious, important. Love is ultimate. Love is supreme. We want the gifts of the Spirit here. I, I hope and I pray. I'm praying that God would give us a desire to obey the command in 1 Corinthians 12.31 to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. That's a command. We want the gifts here. But we must never emphasize the good at the expense of the best. And we, we all have a temptation to do this with the gifts or with something else. We emphasize something that is good and we do it to such a degree that we de-emphasize what is the best. Here in the lengthiest discussion on spiritual gifts in the whole Bible, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, three chapters sandwiched right in the middle is 1 Corinthians 13, which is called the chapter of love. It's often read at weddings or something like that, but it's actually in the context of spiritual gifts. Paul is addressing this church at Corinth, this church that had had questions for him about spiritual gifts. Way back in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, now concerning spiritual gifts, which is a clue for us that he's addressing some of their concerns about spiritual gifts. Paul wants for them to use the gifts in such a way that Christ is glorified and the church is built up. And here in chapter 13, we see the way. We see the way forward. 
It's no accident, of course, the Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture, that 1 Corinthians 13 is right here smack dab in the middle of 12 and 14, which, of course, in the original Bibles, there weren't chapter breaks. But right here in the middle of this discussion, this beautiful discourse on Christian love. Do you love? Do you love? Everyone loves theoretically, right? Everyone, everyone loves in theory or in abstract ways. But the love Paul describes here cannot be reduced to theory, abstract, and mere talk. The Apostle John in 1 John 3 says, Let us love not in word or talk merely, but in deed and in truth. It is really important for us to see that Paul in this, in this text is not pitting the gifts against love. He's not pitting the, the gifts of the Spirit like prophecy or tongues against this way of love. That would be pitting the Holy Spirit against the Holy Spirit, and Paul would never do that. He doesn't say choose one or the other. Choose the gifts. Either choose to pursue the gifts with all of your heart or choose the way of love. No, he doesn't say that. He's saying, in your pursuit of the spiritual gifts, I am going to show you a still more excellent way to pursue them. Isn't that what he says? Verse 31 of chapter 12, but earnestly desire spiritual gifts and, doesn't say but, he says and, I will show you a still more excellent way. Paul is, there's progression here. Earnestly desire the gifts and I'm going to show you a way that is beyond comparison. That's literally what it means. A way beyond all comparison. The way or the path or the road of love is the way beyond comparison. In our pursuit of, the, of spiritual gifts, and I hope, again, when you hear the command, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, you say, I am, I do. And you seek God for them. In your desire, in your pursuit of that, you and I must never veer off the road of love, the path of love, the way of love. Love is not just one more thing given to the church to benefit the body, like some get the gift of prophecy and some get gift of administration, some get a gift of healing, and somebody else gets love. Rather, love is the way of life. Love is the overarching, all-embracing style of life that is to characterize you and I from beginning to end. For a Christian to say, you know, I'm just not a very loving person. I don't know anyone who would say that. But for any, any Christian to think that in their heart and maybe by accident say that with their lips, it just doesn't square. There's a massive disconnect. Love is the overarching, all-embracing style of life that's to characterize us from beginning to end. Now, this might seem obvious, but why is that? Well, Paul, in these eight verses, wants to show us. What does Paul say? He says, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, and I will show you, I will show you, a still more excellent way. He wants to show us, and he does show us by giving us three reasons why love is 
the more excellent way. Now, we're going to look at two in pretty, pretty great detail this morning. Two of the reasons Paul gives us. The third we're just going to mention, and then we're going to leave that for next week. Okay? It's, get, it's budding into next week's text more than, I need, more than I should. So why is love the more excellent way? Reason number one Paul gives us is because of the essential nature of love. Verses 1 to 3. Paul tells us love is the non-negotiable. It's non-negotiable. It is absolutely indispensable for the Christian. Love is. Love is the surest sign that someone is a Christian. It's not a spectacular gift. It's not personal charisma or anything else. It is love. The Apostle John says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever has been born of God, excuse me, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. You see what he says? Whoever loves, whoever shows love, it's evidence that they have been born of God and that they know God. Whoever does not love does not know God because... God is love. So love is the more excellent way because love is indispensable. It is essential. It is necessary. Love, Christian love transcends in importance the claims of this or that gift. And quite frankly, without love, the gifts themselves are pointless. They're pointless. In one sense, the gifts, though important and precious and good, I said right up front, they're good. They're very good. In one sense, the gifts are dispensable. Love is not. Now, let me, let me explain what I mean. You can love somebody without prophesying over them. But you cannot speak a prophetic word beneficially to somebody without loving them. See the way Paul goes, and he shows us that right here. Now, of course, the best of both worlds, let's, let's, let's love and seek to speak prophetic words to people, right? Let's, let's, let's seek for both. But one is essential, one is indispensable, and that is love. Verse 1, here's what Paul says. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong. Or a clanging symbol. Now, it's not surprising Paul would start here. If I speak in the tongues of men, the, the city of Corinth, these were people who were steeped in Greco-Roman culture. They, they loved human rhetoric. They loved eloquent speech of men. That's why Paul says back at the beginning of his letter, when I came to you, I didn't come with that. I didn't come with eloquent speech. I wanted to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. He said, I didn't want want your faith to rest on my wisdom, but on God's power. So they love human, they love the tongues of men. They love human rhetoric. But he also says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, the church at Corinth also had a love affair with the gift of tongues. Elevating it to a place it shouldn't have been elevated to. It's, It's a wonderful gift. 
but they had elevated it too high. Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, listen to what he says. I am a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. He doesn't say the gift is. You might say, well, my speech is a noisy gong or clanging symbol. He says, no, I am. I am a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. It's, it's, we don't know exactly what Paul meant by noisy gong, clanging symbol. There's not always this nice, neat translation from Greek to English. But a noisy gong, I mean, I love Evan's drumming up here, but if he was without the band and just up here banging on one of these hi-hats, it would drive us crazy, right? It's a meaningless noise. It's a, it's a pointless sound. That's what Paul's saying. Without love, our speech, tongues of men, tongues of angels even. Without love, it's meaningless. It's pointless. We are pointless. Verse 2. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge... That's amazing. That's a pretty impressive gift. Prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. I mean, that sounds like something that can only be said about God. But he says, if I have these prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries, all knowledge, if I even have the gift of faith so as to remove mountains, it calls to mind Jesus saying to his disciples, if you have faith, you can say to this mountain, be taken up, be cast into the sea. If I have these, if I possess these gifts, but have not love, I am nothing. I'm a zero. Verse 3, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. If, I have, if I'm a th- philanthropist and just want to give all of my riches away, which wouldn't be much, but if I had a lot and I gave it all, I wanted to give all of it away and gave all of it away, or if I had the zeal of a martyr and delivered my body up to be burned at the stake, Without love, Paul says, I gain nothing. Love must be the supreme thing. Absolutely indispensable. Absolutely essential. Without love, you and I are spiritually bankrupt. In God's way of accounting, five minus one equals zero. Like, wait a second, where do you get that from? All right, tongues, prophetic powers, gift of faith, generosity to give all my wealth away, and the zeal of a martyr to deliver my body to be burned. You take away love, you don't got four, you got nothing. You got zero. Love is supreme. Love is essential. Gordon Fee, in his excellent book, God's Empowering Presence, says, Christian love, not a gift of the Spirit, is the sure sign of the Spirit's presence. 
when we gather together, I, I want manifestations of the Spirit, spiritual gifts. I want these to increase among us. But love will always be the surest sign that the Spirit of God is present here. Love is a more excellent way because love is indispensable. It's essential. So that's the first reason Paul gives us. Love is a more excellent way. It is essential. It is indispensable. Next, what Paul does is he shows us that love is a more excellent way because of the supreme qualities of love. And he shows us that in verses 4 to 7. Now, in these verses, love isn't so much defined as it is described. It's not like he gives us a nice, neat definition of love. He gives us many descriptions of love. And none of this is sentimental or theoretical. It's all practical and behavioral. Right? None of it's kind of up here, I, lo- oh, I love everyone. You just don't see any of these things in my life. No, it's none of that. It is, it, it's not up here, it's, it's practical, it's behavior, behavioral. But when we look at these, these short, pithy descriptions of love, we can put together, I think, a working definition, at least I did, and I would, descri- I would define love this way from, from this text. Love sacrificially and selflessly seeks the good of others, even those you don't think deserve it. Love sacrificially and selflessly seeks the good of others with great zeal, even those you don't think deserve your love. I say these because the qualities used to describe love seem to fit into two categories. There seem to be two overarching categories. We're going to go through each of these. There's 15 statements. We're going to go through each of them. I'm only going to spend about 10 minutes on each, so you'll be out of here by two for sure, okay? I'm joking. No, but, but each one of these 15 statements seem to fit into two categories. They, they either fit in the category of um, that love overcomes our selfish pride, Love overcomes our selfish pride, or they fit into the category of love overcoming our readiness to give up on people. I'm done with you. This kind of love, this kind of love comes from a radically transformed heart. Reed talked about this last week. He didn't talk about this, but he talked about a radical salvation where Paul had an encounter with Christ and he went from death to life. He went from hating Christ to loving Christ. He went from hating Christians to loving Christians. Comes from, this kind of love comes from a radical transformation in our hearts. So let's take a look at these qualities. There are seven descriptions of what love is and eight descriptions of what love is not. And I'm seriously only going to probably take a minute on each. So I'm not going to do it justice, but we'll just walk through it briefly. But first I want you to see, I want you to notice something. This jumped out at me, maybe it was Friday. When Paul describes love, or when he goes through this, he doesn't say be loving, be patient, be kind, don't be arrogant, don't be rude. He doesn't say that. He says love is 
patient. And love is kind. And love is not arrogant. And love is not rude. And love does not seek its own. It's actually love that has these qualities that are a part of it. This helped me think maybe a little differently about like the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, right? Love is patient. Kindness, love is kind. It's almost like when the Spirit of God does this work in us through the gospel, directing us to the love of God poured out for us in sending his son in Jesus coming and living the life we could never live in dying in our place for us on the cross and rising again. And the spirit drives home to us this sacrificial selfless love deep in our hearts. When this love comes, it brings with it a million other qualities. Uh, Jonathan Edwards has a, uh, has a sermon called love, the sum of all Christian virtues. It's like this vine that has all of these other qualities, fruits, you might say, connected to it. When love comes, these things come. It's no wonder that the New Testament testifies that love fulfills all that God requires. So let's, let's just walk through these one at a time. Love is patient. The idea is endurance in the face of suffering, right? A long time ago, people used to use a different word. We say patience now. They, King James still uses it. People said long-suffering, to suffer long. Except what is in view here is to suffer long at the hands of another. Love is patient. Patiently bearing with those who mistreat you rather than seeking retaliation. And doesn't every child need to learn this at a very young age and then throughout their childhood and then, and then every child that becomes an adult? Don't we still need to learn this throughout our lives? Love is patient. Love is kind. Kindness is more than just putting up with people. We know that, don't we? <laughs> I can't stand that person. I'm going to keep my mouth closed and put on a smile. That is not kindness. Kindness cannot be put on. We can't feign it or fake it. I mean, we can, but God sees through it. And oftentimes other people do too. Kindness is a, is a genuine tenderheartedness toward others with genuine feelings of affection, which moves us to act for their good. That's what kindness is. Love is kind. Yes. Kindness is a tender, genuine tenderheartedness toward others with genuine feelings of affection, which moves to act for their good. Love is kind. Love does not envy. That's the next phrase. Love does not envy. Now, it's interesting. We're told just a few verses earlier that we are to be envious for some things. 
We're to be envious for spiritual gifts. It's the same word that's translated earnestly desire. So we're to be envious of spiritual gifts, but we are never to look at our brothers and sisters and covet what they have or be envious of who they are or of what they have or of the privileges they have in life. That is contrary to the spirit of love. We must rejoice. We are called to rejoice in the good of the one that we love. Love does not envy. Next, love does not boast. The idea is boasting in oneself. Love does not show up in the room and try to draw attention. Right? Look, look at me. Look how amazing I am. Let me tell you how cool I am. Love doesn't do that. Love doesn't brag about gifts possessed or privileges in life or experiences with God or anything else. Especially as though we deserve any of these things. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, What do you have, beloved, that you have not received as a gift? And if you received it, why do you boast as though you haven't received it? Love does not boast. Love is not arrogant. Arrogance, an inflated view of self or of someone being puffed up in themselves. This, of course, was the resident problem in the church at Corinth. Paul addresses this throughout his letter to them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, Do not go beyond what is written, so that none of you may become arrogant or puffed up on behalf of one against another. Love is not arrogant. In chapter 8, Paul says that there's a certain kind of knowledge that makes arrogant or puffs up. But love builds up. Love is not arrogant. Love is not rude. Love behaves properly toward one another. It seeks to treat others with the utmost respect and honor. Love is not rude. Love does not insist on its own way. Love never says or does not say, my way or the highway. How do those kind of relationships work? Not very well. (laughs) Not very well. Self-love is the way of the world. That's the way we're born. Thinking we're number one, what I want, what I think, what I say, all of this is what matters. But love does not insist on this. The second commandment says, after loving God, to love your neighbor as yourself. I think this is very interesting. Jesus assumes we already love ourselves. The problem with human beings is not that they need to learn to love themselves more, but that they need to love their neighbor as they love themselves. Only a gospel-transformed heart has been enlarged so that we can get outside ourselves and live to seek the benefit of others, not insisting on our own way. Love is not irritable. It's not easily provoked. It's not easily angered. It's not like molten lava just under the surface of a volcano ready to erupt at any time. 
Ouch. Sometimes I'm irritable. Love is not irritable. Love is not resentful. The word resentful really is used up of, it's, it's kind of brings two ideas together. One is that love does not keep a record or doesn't record. And the other idea is wrongs. So love does not record wrongs. The NIV says love does not keep a record of wrongs. I think the New American Standard says love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Love does not have a personal journal of grievances that we consult from time to time, especially when we run into that person again that has lots of records in our book. Love doesn't do that. When someone really hurts you and offends you and speaks evil against you or they treat you unjustly, love has no thought of writing it down and remembering it. Those who can remember every wrong against them is someone whose heart has shriveled and contracted in self-love and knows nothing of the love of God in Christ which Romans 5 says has been shed abroad or poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Love is not, oh, there we go. Love is not resentful. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love does not enjoy tracking down and pointing out what is wrong and unrighteous in others. But love Love loves joining with others and celebrating what is right and true. There are times to point out faults and wrongs, but love weeps to have to do so. It doesn't rejoice to have to do it. Love bears all things. Literally means love covers all things not by covering up sins, rather love puts up with people. It bears with people and their weaknesses and their inconsistencies and their blind spots. Love says, I've got that covered. It bears with it. And why? Why does love do such a thing? Here's why. Because, because we humbly recognize that we all have weaknesses and we all have inconsistencies and we all have blind spots. And aren't we glad that God puts up with us? He bears with us. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. This is not, this is not prizing gullibility as a virtue, Right? Oh, I just saw somebody do it. I'm not going to believe that about them. It's like, well, they just did it. It's not gullibility, okay? It's not saying that we just are, we, we bury our heads in the sand. Rather, it, 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 love prefers to be generous and open rather than cynical and closed. Rather than suspicious of others, it, it desires to believe the best about them. 
Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love hopes, hopes for the best, even with repeated personal abuses. Love is ready to give another chance, a second chance, or a 15th chance, or a 50th chance, or 70 times 7. How about that? That many chances. Love hopes all things. And love endures all things. Love perseveres all the way to the end. Even when evidence is adverse and in the face of repeated disappointment, love courageously perseveres. I don't don't know about you guys. I'm I'm deeply challenged by this. But when I read, when I think of this, there is nothing on the face of the earth like Christian love. There's nothing like it. It's the most amazing thing in the world. This kind of love, not this oh, out here kind of thing. I love people. No, this kind of love. There's nothing like it. It cannot be faked. It can't be counterfeited. Quite frankly, all of the gifts can be. There's pagan tongues. There's fortune tellers. There's witch doctors. Love cannot be counterfeited. Not this kind of love. It's the most amazing thing in all the world. The gifts of the Spirit are precious, but love is supreme. Love is the more excellent way. Now, Paul gives us one more reason, and I'm just going to touch on it briefly. The other reason Paul gives us for love being the more excellent way is the duration of love. Verse 8, the first part says this, love never ends. Maybe the NIV says love never fails. I think that could be misunderstood or um, misinterpreted. I think the idea is that it goes on and on and on and on and on is that it it, it never ends in its duration. Love goes on forever. The way of love is more excellent because love is permanent. The gifts are wonderful, but they are temporary graces given for this life, given for this age. I mean, wouldn't it be terrible if we needed gifts of healing in heaven forever? Oh my goodness. I mean, I think that's amazing that we're not going to need that. We're not going to need prayers or doctors or anything like that. When we have been with the Lord and with one another for 10 billion years, love will still reign supreme. Kind of puts things in perspective, doesn't it? Wow. Love, we will still love each other perfectly in heaven. And we will perfectly. We don't now, but we will then. Therefore, heaven is going to be a world of love forever. Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon called Heaven, a world of love. And he said this, The cause and fountain of love in heaven is the God of love who dwells in heaven. That makes sense, doesn't it? The cause and fountain of love in heaven is the God of love who dwells there. 
who is all in all. And elsewhere later in this sermon, he said, if you would be in the way to the world of love, see that you live a life of love. That's the way. This is the most excellent way. Now, you might be thinking, like I am, like I have been all week. It's been uh, an amazing week thinking about this, but a troubling week thinking about this. Because <laughs> the Holy Spirit often just searches and reveals, and how can he not when we're studying a, a text? And wow, how far I fall short in loving this way. You might be thinking, gosh, you go through this list, Josh, and I realize I'm not always patient or I'm not very patient at all. Or you might say, I, you know, I actually tend to remember the wrongs of others. I don't write it down, but I got a really good memory. And I can recall it at any moment, the things that have been done to me. Or you might say, I just don't find that I have the power within me to do what this passage describes. Is this passage meant just to be like a sledgehammer to grind us into the ground like dust? No, I think it's meant to drive us to the good news. And there is good news. The good news is that though you and I are often not patient, that God is patient. God is supremely patient. When God revealed himself to, to Moses, you know, he put Moses behind the cleft of a rock and said, you can't see my face, you'll, you'll be toast. Put him behind a cleft of a rock and passed before him and declared his covenant name, Yahweh. He said, the Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious. Here we go. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You hear love is patient there? Abounding in steadfast love, slow to anger. Now, if that just breezes over you like a big deal, oh my goodness, you just don't know yourself. You just don't know yourself. And your need for God's patience daily, God's gracious love every day. I need it. I need it. And the good news is that the Son of God put our interests before His. Right? He loved us and he gave himself for us. And here's what he did. He didn't keep a record of our sins. In fact, he went to the cross and canceled our record that stood against us. And because of our record, the wrath of God hovered over us. He canceled it all. And therefore, we are told this astounding news that God actually remembers our sins no more. Now that is only true for those who are found in Christ. He remembers our sins no more. That's why Paul can say in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation because our sins were condemned in Christ on the cross. 
And so he remembers our sins no more. Now, that doesn't mean God cognitively can't, he's forgotten. It's that God chooses to not remember them, to not bring them up in judgment against us. Glorious news. Psalm 130, verses 2 and 3. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there's forgiveness. And the good news is that God is not looking for us to produce the resources to do this through human ingenuity, and through our own abilities to just kind of harness our skills and talents. And no, no, no. The ability comes from God. And I, I love the verse in, in Romans 5. I think I've quoted it before, maybe twice this morning. I love this verse, okay? Romans 5, 5 says, The love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Another translation said, shed abroad. It's kind of this idea of lavishly dumped out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God pours his love into our hearts. He pours his love into us. He's the one that loves patiently and sacrificially and selflessly, and he pours his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We don't have the resources to love like this. We can't, but when the Spirit fills us with his mighty love, we can. We can. We can grow in it. We can, we can, we can show evidences of, of growth in this. John tells us this, we love because he first loved us. We love God and we love one another because he first loved us. Now, I take that to mean that when we understand by faith the saving love of God in Christ, and the Holy Spirit comes and makes his residence in our hearts that we then are born again with new affections, new desires, and we can love other people because of his prior love for us. So our lack of love is not because of a lack of discipline. It is because of a lack of delight in God's love. That's what it is. Our love is not a lack of willpower. Like I just got to muster up my strength. It is a lack of wonder and amazement that God loves us so much. When the spirit-empowered enjoyment of God's love in Christ demonstrated on the cross ceases to be the place from which you and I live, you know what happens? We become rude. We become self-seeking. We are triggered. You know what that means, right? Triggered. We're irritable, easily angered. We're boastful. We're proud. We're envious. We keep a record of wrongs. 
And because we're triggered and we keep a record of wrongs, I mean, the list just grows exponentially. I mean, just like, wow, everything, we just... And all the rest. But when the Holy Spirit pours the mother load of God's mighty love in our hearts, we will love like him. Patient, kind, not self-seeking, not rude, not arrogant, not boastful seeking the benefit of others, bearing all things, believing all things, hoping all things, enduring all things, not rejoicing in wrongdoing, but rejoicing with the truth. And it is precisely because we get a fresh sighting or a sweet taste of God's love for the undeserving, like you and me. John, uh, I've quoted John, Jonathan Edwards a lot, haven't I? But this just comes to mind. You know, he said there are two ways someone can know that honey is sweet. They can know honey is sweet because someone tells them, or they can know honey is sweet because they've tasted it. You can know that love, God's love is, is awesome because I, because I told you. And you've been told and you've read your Bible and it says so. Or you can know that it is amazing as Psalm 63 says, better than life because you yourself have tasted it. That's what we need. We need to taste of the sweetness of God's love. God's love for the undeserving. So this strengthens us to love others who don't deserve it. God's love poured in our hearts. Understand going deeper. If someone says, I know God's love, I'm just not a loving person. I would say, no, you don't know it. Because if you did, you would grow in loving others. You would. This is to get a foretaste of heaven, the world of love. So love is the more excellent way. And so, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Let's pray. Father, we love you because you first loved us. If you had not loved us first, Lord, we would refuse you to this day. But you loved us. You came for us.